Please rise for the reading of God's word. We are in. We are in 1 Peter. After being in the book of Luke for a long season, we will be in the we'll be in 1 Peter for a while now. We began last Sunday. If you weren't here, you may want to get the the CD. 1 Peter. And this would be the apostle Peter. One of the 12 apostles. So blessed to have a living, breathing testimony from someone who was actually with the Lord Jesus for at least three years. Verse 1 says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, meaning to Christians, people who the Bible says are temporary residents, that's what a pilgrim is, of the dispersion, meaning uh, Christians who had scattered throughout the Roman Empire. We're actually in these regions here. He says, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Elect, meaning the pilgrims, Christians, have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be, re, be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, on this day, Father's Day, that you would just give us a wide open, undistracted, clear view into your heart, our Father's heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One other thing, by the way, Father's Day. I am the proud father of a boy and four girls. I say a boy. He's a man. He's getting married this Saturday. And uh, uh, stand up for a second, Sam. Uh, he, th- there Sam is. Where's your fiance? Ah, serving already. So Sam is getting married this, this Saturday, and you all are invited. Everyone's invited to the ceremony. Uh, we'd, lo- we'd love to be able to invite, actually, the whole, uh, uh, the whole world to the uh, uh, reception, but uh, that financially, that's not doable, but we'd love uh, to have you there. Sam is actually preparing uh, with Emberly, his fiance for the, for the mission field. And so he's going to be in training with us as a pastor intern for the next year. Uh, so uh, you are welcome to join us. We'd love to have you there this Saturday at two o'clock. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated, Sam. So Peter uses this greeting, 
that you see actually in all of Paul's letters, in both of Peter's letters, at the end of verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. All of Paul's letters begin with a similar greeting, grace and peace to you. Notice, if you go through these letters, and the, uh, Paul's letters and two of Peter's letters, you'll never see peace and grace to you. You always see grace and peace to you. Why is that? Because you cannot have peace in your life until you first have or understand grace. Ain't no peace without an understanding of grace. What is grace? It is getting what you don't deserve. Getting what? Jesus Christ, the resurrected living God. He has given himself to you, even though there's nothing you could do in a thousand lifetimes to deserve it. As you grow in your understanding of that, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is yours you will have peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus uh, uh, rather, Peter here says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just breaking out in praise here. Ever been going about your business doing whatever? And seemingly out of nowhere, some thought comes uh, uh, to your mind of what the Lord has done in your life, and you just break out in praise. Happened to me this week. I mean, just my eyes just filled up with tears. I started saying under my breath, God, I just can't believe how good you are. The problem was, there was a bunch of people around looking at me. Just in the, and then there was a conversation about something completely different, and I had to just go like this because people are going to think I'm, I'm strange. Just mumbling to myself for no reason. But, but th this is what the, the, the Lord does and will do in your life as you grow in your understanding of grace. And Peter here, who, man, he tapped from the well of grace. I mean, this guy tapped from that well. And we were talked about that last week. He understands grace, and he breaks out in it right here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just kind of like bursting out in praise. Sort of like those geysers out west where all of a sudden an eruption of water just comes out of the ground and shoots up uh, into the sky. That's what the Lord does. Why this burst of praise? Why this eruption, this geyser of praise? Well, like any geyser, a lot is coming out. I was looking at Old Faithful and Yellowstone on, on the internet. I mean, just, just a lot comes out really, really quick. And the next two and a half verses, he just sort of dumps out. And that's how a bursts of praise are, right? A, a, a number of different things. And he, he really, he fires off four reasons why he is just bursting out in praise here. Uh, he, he says um, in the middle of verse 2, he gives at least four reasons. Uh, he says in the middle of verse 2, he says, uh, I, he's bursting out in praise because according to God's abundant mercy, he has begotten us again, it says. Begotten us again. I'm going to list these four things. Why is he bursting out with praise? Number one, he has begotten us again. What does that mean, begotten us? 
we're more familiar with the term what? Born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, to see the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, very confused. Actually, world religion professors. Watch out for those guys. But they, uh, but they, can t- they do know uh, their, their stuff at, at one level will tell you that this is something unique to the Christian faith. Being born again. Nicodemus, very confused. That's impossible. No one can go back in his mother's room. Jesus doesn't back off from his statement. In verse 7, he says, don't marvel. Don't, he says to Nicodemus, don't be astonished that I say to you, you must be born again. Then he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Meaning, you're right. To be born again, Nicodemus, is impossible. God has to do it. God has to do it. Born again. You must be born again. He's erupting in praise, Peter is, because he's like, God has done this thing. He has begotten us. He's brought about this born again thing. Well, why? Why is it necessary that we be born again? Because from heaven's perspective, before you are begotten again by God, you are spiritually and relationally dead, meaning you have zero relationship with God. The Bible teaches that. That's not a very popular view today. The Bible teaches that because of your sin, the relationship with any relationship with, with God is, is dead. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. He meant what he said. He always does. When God, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God, they died. And so we read in the New Testament this concept of how we're dead in terms of our relationship with God. Ephesians 2.1, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Prior to a relationship with Christ, you were dead in your in, in, in terms of your relationship uh, with God, you were dead. Your relationship with God is dead. It's, 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 it's worth really reflecting upon every time you come into the presence of the Lord. We were talking about a couple weeks ago about having a one-on-one devotion time with God and, and going in with the right attitude. It would do you real well to remember you were dead. You were dead. You were dead in your relationship with God. But Peter here says that because of God's abundant mercy, you were begotten again, born again by God. Paul repeats the same thing in Ephesians. He says in chapter 2, right after telling him they had been dead, he said, but God. Oh, those wonderful words, but God. Every single one of you who has given Christ, you've given Christ your heart, and you say, okay, you get on the throne now. I'm sick of being on the throne. Your life, there's a testimony in which at some point, There's a comma, and then it says, but God. And the rest of your life is about you and the Lord and what God does in your life. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. And that's a big deal to God, by the way. This is a big, big deal to him. You know, 
yeah, it, it, Peter it, it is bursting out in praise here. He's erupting in praise. But, but the same thing happens in heaven. Imagine being at a funeral or a wake. There's a, you know, a, 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 the dead body in a casket. It may seem like a silly illustration. All of a sudden, though, um, the dead body gets up. It's perfectly healthy. It starts jumping for joy. I'm alive. I'm alive. It goes around hugging. That place will erupt into praise. The Bible says the same thing happens in heaven. Jesus says there's joy in the presence of the angels uh, of God over one sinner who repents. There's a burst of praise. So if you've never heard this expression before, there's no better time than now to hear it. Christianity, this Bible, it's not about, it's not a story, it's not a faith about making good people better. It, it's, not, it's not about making bad people less bad. It's about making dead men and women alive. That's what must happen in every person's life for them to pass from death to life, from eternity without God to eternity with God, from a life really of hopelessness, much more on that later, to a life that is an abundant life. Why is Peter erupting in praise? He says, because we ha- he has begotten us, middle of verse 3, into what? A living hope. So reason number two, he's erupting into praise. Number one is that we have been begotten. Number two is that we've been begotten into a living hope. A living hope. Now hope is something that confuses us. Because the word hope, the way we normally use it, has a lot of uncertainty. I hope that the weather is good tomorrow. I hope this Saturday, when my son is is married, that the weather is good. I hope that girl will like me. I hope that boy will like me. I hope that the Miami Heat lose. Actually, that's a certainty, bad illustration. But, but uh, anyway, m- many of our hopes, as we grow older, they begin to fade away and some of them die. You know, like every other kid. I, I really hope, like every other, I should say, boy growing up. I honestly, truly, really hoped that I would be a professional athlete someday. I'm glad you guys didn't burst out in laughter. That makes me feel, ooh, that makes me feel good. And I'm 50 years old. That hope is almost dead. But, and uh, let me tell you why it's just almost dead. Because I, I tell you, like every third week, and I think they write these articles for people like me, I read an article. Did you read the article? This is true. Is it true? Michael Jordan, 50 years old, same age as me, went to school right down this, uh, the, the highway from me uh, in, in college. And, and uh, uh, he's going to come out of retirement and play one game this year. This gives me hope. He's 50 years old. Herschel Walker, who knows Herschel Walker? Please date yourself. He was, an, <laughs> he was a Heisman Trophy winner, 53 years old. He came out and said, he came out and said, you know, I'm good enough to be back in the NFL. That gives me hope. What really gives me hope is Satchel Page. Who knows Satchel Page? Satchel Page pitched for the Kansas City Royals against the Boston Red Sox when he was 59 years old. Satchel, thank you for your memory. (laughs) 
Now, some of you may be saying, um, but Steve, I can understand how Michael Jordan can come out of retirement, but you never played like Michael Jordan. Yes, I did. When he was nine years old, I was just as good as him. So in that twisted logic, somehow, someday, I, 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 whatever. But one of these days, this hope is going to die. And, and listen, uh, uh, the, the point is, and, and, and you know something? I don't want to make light of a subject that is really heavy and serious. We're talking about a living hope, he says. Why is he bursting out in praise? Because he's, the God has begotten him into a living hope, a living hope. And I was just in Eastern Europe a few weeks ago to see Sam graduate from Bible college uh, in, in Hungary. And I hung out with uh, his best friend who's Hungarian for a day. And I you know, was observing and sort of taking everything in. And, and I asked uh, his, his friend, his friend Machi, I said, so do, t- tell me, what, what are the Hungary, Hungarian people uh, like? And he was just very honest. He said, you know, there's, there's just a lot of depression here. There's a lot of hopelessness. And he just began to explain why. Hungary, you know, sometimes we forget we live in the United States and, 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 and uh, we forget, wow, you know, if we grew up in a different part of the world, things would be completely, utterly different. He just explained in World War I, wrong side of the war, they sided with Germany. After the war, two-thirds of their country had been taken away. World War II, wrong side of the war, they, they sided with Germany. And so after they were overrun by the Soviet Union, and for 50 years, they were just oppressed. And we had uh, dinner with his parents, and I asked him, what was it like to live under the Soviets? And they just described this really, it can only be, just be described as just a nightmarish, awful living situation in which no one trusted each other. They said you couldn't trust your family, you couldn't trust your best friend, and everyone was encouraged to betray everyone else. And as a result, not only in Hungary, but Eastern Europe, just that, that hopelessness is, is still like a cloud, you know, over, over uh, so much of, of Eastern Europe, but, you know, closer to home here. I, you know, I think of what happens in the United States of America, in Boston today, where young kids are exposed to so much at a, such a young age that not only is it possible, it is becoming commonplace that a teenage boy in their early teen years. A teenage girl can make so many bad choices with who they give their body to, how many they give their body to, what they give their body to, so many bad choices of what they expose their eyes to, so many bad choices of what chemicals they give their mind over to that when they are finally old enough to understand what has happened happened to them, it is too late. Their hope is dead. Any hope for a normal, stable, well-adjusted, prosperous life, dead. No more second chances. Listen, I can't overemphasize this. In the very places in the city where a church minister ministers, we are seeing this with our very eyes. You know, today's Father's Day, and, and uh, Dan alluded to this. Do you know how many children in this city, and I speak for a number, a number of uh, 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 many of us in this room, the hope of having a real father has died. It's dead. Hope, as we understand it, has a way of dying. Sometimes it's a sudden death. Most of the times it's a long, slow death because of age, illness, circumstances beyond our control, or most of all, sin. Hope dies. But back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Why is he erupting in praise? Because it turns out hope is not dead. He says, blessed 
it, but it, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, because of his abundant mercy, has begotten us into a living hope. This coming from a man at one point in his life who had lost all hope. A living hope. The idea in the original Greek language, it's a hope that not only will not, it cannot die. That's the whole idea. A living hope. Listen, forget about the world's view of hope, how the world uses the word hope. In God's economy, uh, it, hope cannot die. That's the point here. It, it, it cannot die. There is no uncertainty in hope. If you're taking notes, hope is the guarantee of an expected end that is absolutely fixed. That's what hope is when you see that word. Now, why is that? Why is it that our hope is, is fixed? It's certain. That brings us to the third reason for Peter erupting into praise. Uh, and it's this. It says, Peter says, the, the living hope, verse four, is based on an inheritance that is uncorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Now, I sort of grew up in my Christian, as a young Christian in my early 20s on the NIV. So in this particular verse, as I, I, as I, I shared with you last week, First Peter was a, very much of a friend early on. The NIV says this, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So why is Peter uh, erupting into praise? This is the third reason. This is the third reason. Number one, he has begotten us again. Number two, he's begotten us into a living hope. And number three, he's begotten us into a living hope to an inheritance that will never perish spoil or fade away. Now, first things first, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is the, is the transfer of property from a parent to a child at the time of a parent's death. The Bible says that because you have become born again, you are a child. At the instant, God, you are begotten again by God, you become a child, a child of God. First John, I mean, John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as received him, believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. And, and, and so at the, as when you become a child of God, at that instant, you, you come into an inheritance that is incorruptible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says. I just w w was reading about this illustration about, uh, about um, the kings of England. Recently, there, there's a new uh, prince of England who will be king someday if he doesn't, if he doesn't die. What's his name? Anyone? George? King George. Now, when King George, you know, rolled out of uh, his mother's womb and he was like crying and screaming and, you know, uh, this type of thing, he had no idea that he had come into an inheritance worth literally billions of dollars. His home, Buckingham Palace, 775 rooms. Wow. But all that is going to perish. It's all going to crumble. And the Bible says that your inheritance is incorruptible, incorruptible, your inheritance. And, and it's, it's, it, it, why is it incorruptible? Well, it's based upon the certainty of things that God has already done that have already happened. Example, at the end of verse 3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is a historical fact. This is another sermon for another day, but it's, it's the best documented fact 
at that time of history. And it's not even close. It is a certainty. And what the resurrection was, it it is for you and me a guarantee of the certainty of all of God's promises. We're reading about from a guy who was there and witnessed the whole thing. Why is your inheritance incorruptible? Why can you know it's fixed and certain? Because of things that have already happened that God has done, uh, mainly the resurrection, uh, but also the reason your inheritance is incorruptible, that it will never perish, spoil, or fade away, has to do with what the inheritance actually is. Your inheritance is God himself. Never forget that. If you remember anything from this message, remember this. Your inheritance, God himself. Psalm chapter 16, verse 5 says this. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. People will hurt you And what they can give you has a tendency to crumble. God will never hurt you. Jeremiah 29.10. He will never hurt you for bad. I know the plans that I have for you, plans not to hurt you, but to prosper you. God is your inheritance. Why is it that Peter's erupting into praise? Because the inheritance that he is coming into will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Why? Because the inheritance is the Lord himself. Now, Stephanie and I, my wife Stephanie, we are going through the Old Testament ourselves. Man, it's a long, long Bible study because we do it at night before we go to bed. And, uh, man... Sometimes I don't get reading through a couple verses where I'm nodding off, you know, late at night. But this is what we do. We end the day with this, and, and we're in the book of Joshua, and in Numbers through Joshua, actually all the way through Ezekiel, which we finished a, a couple months ago on Sunday night, you read that the Levites did not receive an inheritance like everybody else. That the, the, in, in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel were going to go from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, before they even got into the promised land, there was a lot of discussion about what they would get when they got there. And the individuals divided into 12 tribes, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Levi, tribe of Naphtali, tribe of, uh, of Judah. And there's these long discussions and let me tell you, at, 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 at 12.30 at night, and yes, it is that late sometimes when we're reading. My wife kills me for that. But when we're reading, it's hard to get through these chapters about all the boundaries of, of where each tribe was, uh, was going uh, to get. But then there's always this strange thing at the end of, of, of telling some of uh, the tribes of Israel what they're going to get. It says, but to you, Levites the sons and descendants of Levi, it says, you have no inheritance because the Lord God of Israel is your inheritance. Now, whose inheritance lasted? Whose inheritance never perished, spoiled, or fade away. And it's true that Israel is going to be reestablished when Jesus Christ returns, but Jerusalem was destroyed. Israel was overtaken, overrun. Everyone's inheritance lost, except for the Levites. It says of them that God was their inheritance. Let me tell you, you, you sitting here this morning, if you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, your master, and believe in your heart 
that God rose from the dead, you're saved. If you have done that, God is your inheritance. What man can give you, what man can do to you, will crumble and it'll often hurt. But what God has given you will never fade away. just want to go through uh, a, a, a little bit more description about your inheritance. Your inheritance. Peter, Peter says here, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it will never perish, spoil, and it won't fade away. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. He says this. He says, he who lives for this world will miss it. Oh man, is that true? He who lives with, for this world will miss it, but he who lives for heaven will arrive in heaven, a rich man with this world thrown in. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. Very simple verse. This is what you call clarity in the Bible. All things are yours. You would do well to write that verse down and just reflect on what that means. All things are yours. Romans 10, verse 12. Great verse. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I have come that they may have life and that they would have it more abundantly. And Mark chapter 10 really sums it up so well. We talked about this last week. The apostle Peter himself had come to him and said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get? This is how he answered. Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I've been walking with the Lord for 26 years. This is the truest verse in the Bible. It's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, fixed, absolute, and certain. Why is Peter erupting in praise? He's, we have been begotten again into a living hope, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Number four says at the end of verse four, reserved in heaven for you, verse five, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's erupting into praise because he has been begotten again, us again, into a living hope, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil away, kept by the power of God. I heard this crazy story about this Christian who died, and he asked for one word on his tombstone, the word kept. I actually love that. I love it. I may just do that. But um, kept, just one word, kept. What a profound Wonderful understanding of the faithfulness of God. Kept. We've been kept by the power of God. It says in in, in, in verse 5, kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. From time to time, people ask me, can I lose my salvation? The answer is no. No. And the reason is because it's kept by God. This verse right here, it says, kept by the power of God. If you have given your life to Christ and you have been born again, a real birth has taken place. Is anyone here suggest that you can undo a biological birth? Of course not. In the same way, you cannot undo a birth by God. It makes no sense and, 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 and really the entire record of the Bible is that 
our, our, our salvation is kept by the power of God. Ezekiel 36, verse 27 says this. This is a promise from the Old Testament repeated by Ezekiel and Jeremiah. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's a promise of what's going to happen 500 years ahead of when Ezekiel uh, uh, lived when people gave their hearts to the Lord. Are we going to stumble and fall? James says yes in many ways. But the Spirit of God gets us on track again to cause us to walk in his statutes. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. I just love this one. Very simple. Jesus is called the captain of our salvation. If you think you're the captain of your own salvation, you're gonna, you won't have peace. Remember, grace and peace to you. You've got to understand grace, man, woman. If, we're the, if I'm the captain of my uh, salvation, meaning if I'm the captain of the one that's going to lead my life into eternity, there's going to be a nasty shipwreck. But Jesus is the captain of my salvation. It's his responsibility to get me there. Hebrews chapter two, verse, uh, chapter six, verse nine, 19 uh, says this, I love this, this hope, here's the word again, it's the word hope. We have as an anchor of the soul, where is this anchor? The rest of the verse answers it, both sure and steadfast fast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Your salvation is, is actually anchored in heaven. Jesus is not in the business of kicking anchors out of heaven. The anchors are lodged there. The anchors are lodged there in heaven. It it says at the end of verse 4, it's reserved in heaven for you. you, You can make reservations here on planet Earth, and sometimes they are, uh, you know, they are, are, are not kept. You can get insurance policies here uh, on, you know, on the earth. And then, what, uh, and then what, some calamity happens, you go to your insurance company and they say, you didn't read the fine print. You know that print font number 0.5 at the bottom of the page? You didn't read that. And you're, you're, you find out you're uninsured. No fine print here. The Bible says it is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That means when Jesus uh, returns, um, this salvation uh, will be revealed to the whole world. We'll close with verses six and seven quickly. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, if you're looking at that and you say, I don't know that I'm greatly rejoicing in this. And you, and, and you know, I speak to my own heart. I find myself not infrequently, and I'm like, I'm not greatly rejoicing. You know that, 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 that word in verse 3 that says living hope, sometimes it's translated a glowing hope. That's some translators. I like that. A glowing hope. And it all ties together. In verse 1, Christians are called pilgrims or strangers or aliens or or peculiar. And and, and why do they look peculiar? Because there's a glow there. Why is there a glow? Because they have a living hope, a glowing hope. And and, and, and that glowing hope really uh, causes great joy, the kind of great joy that erupts into praise But with some of you, you're sitting here today, I speak to my own heart, there's no rejoicing and there's no glow because your hope is not on your eyes. Your hope is not on on the hope of eternity. It's not on the hope of God. It's not on the hope of your inheritance. Who is God himself who does not perish, spoil, spoil, or fade away? I think of the kind of hope that causes us to lose our glow. You know, you know what I have? I have these hopes that are just worldly hopes. I hope to be liked by people. I hope that they will admire me. 
And you know, it's not, it's not wrong to want to be liked or admired, but let me tell you, when you don't get the admiration and you don't get people liking you the way you want to and it causes your glow to be reduced or to be snuffed out, you are hoping in something that is utterly, totally corruptible. Not the incorruptible one. And you know the wonderful thing about the grace of God, we can always be brought back to the place of great rejoicing. Verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Ah, trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the wonderful thing about what we've been reading this morning is that because the hope is a living hope, because it's a hope and an inheritance that is anchored behind the veil in heaven at the throne of God himself, there is no trial, no difficulty, no affliction that can take away this living hope. He says there, though you are for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. He'll go on and, and later on, there's a time of great persecution now at the time this letter's being written, uh, and he's going to go on and describe these tri- trials more. These, these are really hard trials. But the wonderful thing about a living hope in an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away that is anchored in heaven is that there's no trial, no difficulty, no affliction that can take it away. You know, uh, the book of Job. You know, sometimes we don't like to read the book of Job. You know, if I read the book of Job, it's going to start happening to me, all that stuff. You know, that's what we think. That's superstition. We want to get away from that. Although I'm subject to it myself, particularly a couple months ago, I found out Pastor Scott uh, and, and, and Joel, also an elder at the church, well, all three of us at the same time are in the book of Joel, and, uh, Job, rather, and I'm thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? You know? uh, but anyway, uh, we're out of it now. Woof! But uh, when, we were, when we were going through the book of Job on Sunday nights, the thing that stuck out most to me actually was the more I got into it and really actually chewed on it so much that... I really was getting the message from God was how incorruptible our faith is, the faith that has been given to us as a free gift. How, how it's, it's, it's not fragile. It may seem fragile sometimes, but the faith that God has given you, it says is incorruptible. It cannot spoil. Job with everything that he went through, he lost all his sons and daughters. He lost all his possessions, and then he lost his health. It said he, he, he could do no better than to, to, to try to scrape his wounds, to try to get some kind of relief. His wife came by and said, why don't you curse God and die? It didn't happen because his faith was incorruptible, and in the midst of it all, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my flesh is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And that's his point right here. It says, for a little while... (laughs) You're being grieved by various trials. But let me tell you, it's so the, the incorruptibility of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, the steadfastness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why Peter is bursting out in praise at the beginning of this letter. Okay, so I'm going to call the worship team up at this point. Also, if you have been asked to pray, I would ask you at this time to come up. And the worship team is going to play a closing song here. There's something in the message that has 
triggered something in your heart. You know, I, I'm not greatly rejoicing. I don't know that I'm glowing. The Bible says we have been begotten again into a glowing hope. Join the crowd. <laughs> I'm there on a regular basis too. And you know what I do? I come alongside a brother or sister and I pray with them. I pray with many people every week. Not just for them. Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? No. Will you pray for me? If you're in that pray, place and you need prayer, come on up. It's any place to be vulnerable. It's with the body of Christ. Or if you've never come to that place where you can honestly say you have been born again. I grew up going to church every, every Sunday. Never was born again, never even heard, the, uh, heard about it in the churches I was in. I cannot remember a single time. That's because, well, it's because the churches I was in didn't believe in it, tragically. It wasn't until I just opened up the book of John and I was uh, 24 years old and it, man, it just hit my heart like a, like a broadband had been plugged into my heart. Yes, I can be born again. And I can have a living, breathing relationship with the living God. If you've never done that, come up and pray with us. Pray with someone that's up here. So why don't we, we, we stand now. I will pray and we will close, close with a, a worship song. Lord, we just thank you. And we say, Lord, with one heart and one mind, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again and to a living hope, a glowing hope, a steadfast hope, an incorruptible one, an undefiled one, one that does not perish, spoil, or fade it away. It's, it's reserved for us in heaven. Lord, we thank you for all that. I pray, Lord, that you would expand just the borders and boundaries of our hearts, Lord, in this area of faith and hope. Lord, your word says that after everything else perishes, these things remain, faith, hope, and love. And Lord, it's hard to love. With that, without hope. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can just come in here, receive from your word, receive prayer, Lord, receive from the Holy Spirit that that hope can be established. We love you. We praise you. We need you.